You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome back to the program one of the most popular bloggers in Russia with his 110,000 followers. Slava Rabinovich, welcome back. Thank you, Yuri. It's it's uh, honor to have you. It's uh, you know you're a busy guy. Um, Slava, tell us the the first thing I'd like to discuss is that we have uh, Mr. Trump, who you know is may not uh, become president of the United States, but certainly has shown a very interesting connection and affinity for Mr. Putin. And uh, uh, so I wanted to begin by getting your take on what do you think is the nature of that relationship or anything that you want to share, kind of your perspective um, uh, from inside um, the Mordor. Well, Mr. Trump represents obviously um, a camp in the U.S., uh, which is not even supported by a great number of uh, Republicans uh, themselves. Um, And this camp, in the eyes of and in the view of the Kremlin, is designed and destined to inflict some uh, instability um, onto the United States and the, uh, the, any kind of instability in any uh, political and economic and, and state system uh, of any kind of a country which uh, the Kremlin views as an adversary um, would be a good um, a, a, a good thing. And um, uh, hence, uh, it is obvious that in this uh, logic, uh, Putin would pick Trump as a, a destabilizing uh, factor in his overall uh, geopolitical game, if one can call his international crimes as, uh, as such. Um, On the other hand, uh, he understands that um, Hillary Clinton is not going to uh, give him an easy life if and when she's in the office. And uh, uh, based on the lame duck status of the uh, outgoing president who, in addition to be... uh, being an outgoing president, also would like to um, continue sitting in the office without any major um, world uh, uh, shockwaves in terms of his uh, quote-unquote peaceful initiatives, uh, meaning doing nothing in the world uh, and not being able to confront any kind of uh, long-term threats such as uh, Russia and the the Putin's regime. Uh, In this context, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is much more dangerous than uh, Barack Obama, who is just counting days and uh, does nothing, effectively nothing, uh, about uh, Putin's regime and uh, his crimes in Ukraine uh, and Syria and uh, before that in Georgia and so on. 
So, um, so your view on uh, President Obama's position is that of general appeasement. That's correct, but you you don't have to be a political analyst or, as you put it, a popular blogger or anybody else to see the obvious, right? There is another school of thought, which is a very, very far-fetched conspiracy theory, is that Putin and Clinton... I mean, Hillary Clinton uh, already had some serious behind-the-scenes negotiations where the Kremlin being um, uh, a KGB-driven, pragmatic uh, um, collective uh, analyst of of the uh, situation. Um, The Kremlin understands that most likely uh, Hillary Clinton is going to be elected but they need to somehow help them, help her uh, in that. And so they demonst- uh, they 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 doing it with kind of a, a dem- demonst- demonst- uh, kind of demonstrative manifestation of of their intentions in in terms of helping uh, Trump uh, with the knowledge that it's going to hurt him. Wow. So, so, there, so you're suggesting, or at least there, there could be a theory out there that suggests that uh, all of this is actually being set up by Putin to help Hillary uh, Clinton win the election. And this kind of a, what is for some reason, Russian expression of bears help, is, is something that is occurring here. Interesting. Um, I don't right, know well, that... I'm not, I'm not subscribing to this point of view. Okay. I'm just... Uh, Telling you what I've heard uh, among those who like discussing uh, these kinds of things, but I must say that there is some something behind it in terms of the logic. But I think that people tend to put much more intellect uh, behind the Kremlin uh, criminal gang. I, I don't think that they had any kind of a serious intention. Um, of that uh, magnitude and deepness and, and understanding how it works. Okay, I'm so very, we'll just say that they're not really capable of such a conspiracy. Yeah, I don't think right. so. they, they are capable of that. No. All right. So what what do you think is the nature of the relationship between Trump and Putin? Is this just merely that he is the extremist that uh, Kremlin likes to, the, the exactly kind of extremist that uh, Kremlin likes to support? Or is there some specific relationship between Trump and Putin that is unique that uh, do you feel that you have any insight from, uh, again, uh, you know, we're speaking to you and you're in Russia. So what are people around you are saying? What is your opinion on the real nature of relationship between Putin and Trump? I don't think that there is any relationship. Um, I uh, remember that uh, Trump came over to Russia more than once and he wanted to uh, build uh, some kind of a uh, Russian equivalent of Trump Tower or something like that, and it was m- more than once, as I said, in uh, one instance. Uh, one instance, it was in 2007, if I remember correctly, uh, in um, the heydays of the um, Russian GDP growth of uh, almost 10 percent and. Uh, 
this uh, oil boom and uh, the stock market was booming in 2007, was um, gradually reaching uh, 2,500 uh, level on the RTS index. It is less than 1,000 right now, by the way. Uh, so um, these were the days when uh, uh, Trump wanted something uh, from Russia. Um, he didn't succeed, but at the same time, everybody wanted uh, to come to Russia and do business here. Uh, there were, uh, you know, various Trumps of the world multiplied by thousands who were coming over. Um, these were different different times. But what about and, uh, but what about the situation where the the money, rather than Trump trying to bring his brand to Russia, uh, instead Trump using Russian money to finance his ventures in America or or wherever? Uh, because you know, just my logic would say, well, oligarchs have money; they need to put money somewhere. Trump says, put it, you know, invest in me. Is that an idea that makes sense to you or does not? Doesn't. Okay. Uh, uh, the Russian oligarchs uh, invest with Trump regardless of his status as a presidential, presidential candidate or, or not. I, okay. Um, we, we, know, we, we know and we publicly know instances when uh, very wealthy Russian people were buying either the properties built by Trump or, in fact, his own uh, former mansion, if I remember correctly. Uh, it means nothing um, because we're talking about tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, while the Kremlin, with its own um, off-the-budget secret uh, uh, financial resources, has billions or even tens of billions uh, and they would uh, use it if they wanted to to use uh, to use this kind of money. Um, and uh, um, I don't think that the Kremlin deployed any type of serious uh, financial capital to help finance uh, Trump in terms of um, of Trump being a politician. But your question is kind of dividing his status. So. Uh, one status is, is Trump, a businessman. One is Trump, the politician. And in this respect, I don't think that Kremlin deployed any kind of um, serious resources directly uh, in order to help Trump uh, in exchange for uh, some serious financial payback. Uh, it was, if it was done in some shape or form, it was done. Uh, with the goal, as I uh, outlined in the beginning of my uh, of my answer uh, to this question, it, it is done solely to destabilize uh, America in uh, the context as the Kremlin understands uh, how this destabilization can take place. So then, uh, in, so in and, that, and then again, yeah. it, and, and again, it is more. Uh, it is related more to the Kremlin's fantasy and inability to understand how the world uh, in general and the United States uh, in particular work. Uh, because we all know if uh, Trump uh, seriously uh, goes on the path of destabilizing um, the American system, there are checks and balances in the U.S. Uh, uh, political system uh, 
uh, up to the impeachment process. Uh, and the Kremlin doesn't have um, this mechanism of impeachment, um, which is uh, workable um, in practice. It exists on paper, but it doesn't exist in, in reality in terms of the Russian politics. So the Kremlin, which uh, never um, uh, faced these kind of uh, uh, mechanisms and, and, and processes, the, uh, the residents of the Kremlin just do not understand how uh, America works. And so their plan is destined uh, uh, to fail. And moreover, as I said before, it is, as you said, Medvedev Usluga, it is uh, something that hurts Trump uh, rather than helps. But then how do we explain in the end uh, Trump's propensity to say nice things about Putin and refusing to, to say anything bad about him, uh, even to the point of saying that uh, he, Putin is laughing at Hillary Clinton and he outsmarted her at every level. And then he says, you know, and then Trump says nice things about Assad. Is this, you know, because there's two directions, either Trump is attributing this or either this is because there's some kind of a quid pro quo uh, or he just has this affinity for dictators. Um, and I'm kind of curious what, what you think. Do you think that this is just his personality that he likes these kinds of people, or is there more pragmatic reason? Well, he has only two choices uh, in terms of, uh, for example, television debates uh, with Hillary, right? He has the choice to agree with her or disagree with her. And um, uh, in this context, he would either subscribe uh, and to uh, to being in her camp uh, on one or two or in, uh, three or ten issues in, uh, for example, foreign uh, policy. Um, but this is a really disagree. this is a really big uh, disagreement that really usually Democrats and Republicans agree on, and then they move to other issues. Right, uh, right, and 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 and, and that's why. I was about to say the second point um, is that maybe you and many other people at large tend to attribute to Trump uh, some kind of um, extraordinary intellectual abilities uh, allowing him to actually become the candidate uh, uh, for the presidency. But in my opinion... Uh, it, it is the other way around. Uh, I don't know uh, really how this uh, freak show happened with him being a um, Republican candidate, but uh, it is very possible that, that he just doesn't get it and he um, uh, understands nothing in uh, foreign policy and even uh, less uh, in, in uh, about Russia. And so he just... Uh, um, talking, I don't want to use a, a bad word uh, of American slang um, on your radio waves, but, you know, he, he's just talking uh, BS. Right. Well, it's... Uh... Um, actually, I had a guest in the past for, from, from Russia just recently who used that word, and I had to cut it out. Uh, anyway, so... So I think that that puts it to rest, and this is just who Mr. Trump is. So uh, chances are pretty darn good that it's going to be President Hillary Clinton, though. 
And uh, you kind of briefly touched on that, but just your thoughts on what Putin's relationship with uh, uh, Clinton could be and vice versa. Yeah. Um, well, we remember that uh, it was um, the administration of uh, um, nowhere near the administration of Trump or, uh, in the past uh, that tried to launch a process which was called uh, a re reset. Was called? Uh, I think it was reset. called reset. Right, reset. In in English, it was called reset. Um, and uh, Hillary Clinton was one of the responsible persons in this process. Um, I don't know whether she regrets uh, um, about that these days, but I must remind uh, your listeners and, and you that the so-called reset uh, was done after uh, the murder of Alexander Litvinenko, uh, which was sponsored by the Kremlin, and this kind of uh, political murders cannot happen without uh, signing off by the head of state, in this case, uh, Putin. Right, and just quickly, uh, I'll was, remind to our listeners that uh, Mr. Litvinenko was a former security agent who was murdered with a radioactive tea in London, and uh, there were some pretty horrific pictures of him in his last days dying of uh, reaction or poisoning in the hospital. Uh, continue, Slava, please. Um, uh, thanks for uh, reminding and clarifying to, to your listeners. I will also add that... Um, a special prosecutor's uh, office in uh, the UK uh, several months ago uh, published a report uh, where uh, the uh, the crime was actually solved, uh, not only in terms of details how Litvinenko was poisoned, but that uh, this uh, uh, radioactive uh, uh, element, polonium-210, polonium uh, came from Russia. It was um, carried into the United Kingdom by uh, two FSB officers um, um, who are hiding behind uh, in the Russian Parliament with the parliamentary immunity these days. They both were awarded highest state uh, honors uh, and uh, awards and. Uh, uh, the the uh, investigators in the UK attribute this murder to Russian uh, uh, FSB, um, which is a security service. And uh, I uh, should also say that it was um, a terrorist act, uh, which was done in the center of London, where uh, the UK citizen, a UK citizen, uh, Litvinenko, was murdered um, with radioactive uh, materials uh, which were smuggled from Russia into the UK. Uh, so this is, a, this is a real serious stuff. And uh, 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 
at, at uh, approximately plus or minus at the same time, the same year, uh, one of the most prolific uh, uh, Russian opposition journalists, Anna Politkovskaya, was murdered. Um, and and yet, and, uh, Ms. Cl- Mrs. Clinton initiated a reset with uh, with Russia and with Putin. Right, and, and if you remind me of the chron- chronology, um, I just I'm trying to. I believe Politkovsky uh, was murdered in 2006 because this is the 10th, yeah, yeah, 10th yeah. anniversary, and Obama yeah. became president in 2008, so it's a couple of years later. Right, but but uh, the invasion of Georgia happened also 2008 before. in the summer. And the reset was in 2008, right? Uh, either that or, well, right around there, because that's, at least we know that Obama yes. is in, in charge. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm just saying that three events happened. The murder of Anna Politkovska, the journalist, um, the murder of Litvinenko in London, and the Russian invasion of Georgia, and effectively, uh, effective annexation of two regions of Georgia. And after that, the uh, U.S. reset I, I, with Russia was orchestrated, uh, regardless of these uh, horrific events and, and uh, uh, showcase behavior by Putin. So, absolutely. Uh, In fact, I just looked it up on March 6, thousand nine, in Geneva. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton presented Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov with a red button with the English word "reset" and the Roman right. alphabet "perizagruska." Yes, yes, and and so, um, uh, we. So she did it so in spite I'm, of all those horrific events, is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm cor- I'm correct in, in chrono- chronology then. Yes. So three events of this magnitude happened, and so so she has this kind of stuff uh, on her record with Putin, and uh, this is very very. Well, that would almost uh, counter c- contradict, I suppose, those who are suspecting her of being a rather a hawk, um, you know, when it comes to issues of military and defense. But well, uh, on, on one hand, yes, but on the other hand, the uh, the last word in the foreign policy in, in the foreign policy issues are formulated by the president, right? So she was not the president. Now she will have her hands untied and. Um, uh, we also must say that after these three events, uh, there were many, many more events of a much larger magnitude, which happened since then uh, with uh, Ukraine and Syria. Sure, but uh, as you pointed out, the, the, the main responsibility lies with the commander-in-chief president, in this case, President Obama. So how President Clinton is going to handle this could be entirely, entirely different. That's correct. That's what I'm saying. She, she's got uh, this stain uh, on her record uh, for doing the reset in 2009. She uh, may, may uh, you know, get rid of this stain, um, especially taking into account that Putin is uh, basically, you know, went... Uh, so far that nobody in the world would imagine that he uh, would be going. But, you know, Putin seems kind of uh, fearless these days. Um, what do you think, uh, in your opinion, from your perspective, that he, uh, President Clinton could do or should do uh, to change the situation? And, and what is the outcome that she should even want? 
Well, on the 22nd of June, 1941, uh, and uh, many weeks onwards, Adolf Hitler was also fearless. And we know many other instances in world history when uh, various fearless, quote-unquote, leaders, uh, quote-unquote, were doing what they were doing, only to blow up uh, their own leadership uh, along with their own uh, countries and and peoples. So uh, Putin can really um, play a fearless guy, but at uh, at the end of the day, he's just a um, street bandit from the Soviet Leningrad days who um, is the uh, international terrorist, who is the war criminal, who is a state um, uh, uh, criminal, uh, who is the uh, um, murderer uh, 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 hiding uh, behind the mask of the head of state. And uh, uh, if somebody would uh, uh, give me a counter-argument that I cannot call him all these names because there was no uh, court decision uh, and he has never been tried in The Hague, for example, and he was not not, uh, found uh, guilty. Found guilty and he is not called criminal. Uh, you know, it's the same faulty logic as uh, um, saying that uh, Holocaust, for example, all, all kind of all, all kinds of acts um, related to Holocaust were completely legal in Germany, for example, uh, until uh, May 1945. And this fact doesn't. Uh, make Hitler and his gang um, not criminals. Uh, the fact that, that uh, uh, the, the genocide of the Jews and, and others uh, was legal uh, under this regime. And in fact, um, by this logic, we also can say that uh, by April of 1945, Hitler and his um, uh, gang were not crimin- criminals only because... Uh, Nuremberg hasn't happened yet. All right, Slava, so, you are you are making uh, references to World War II, uh, and and you're comparing it sounds to me the situation what we have now to kind of a, a replay, but we do not have quite the the military aspect that World War II carried, at least not yet. Um, how do you see the situation develop from here? Uh, you see. Um, you're asking a question with uh, with um, an intention to get an answer of, of <laughs> yes, at least yes, that is true. At least some kind of a view. But the problem is that um, the world is facing a unique situation, and I don't think that too many people in the world understand that this situation is unique. Um, the the, the inter- in, internally, Putin. Uh, did several things that uh, uh, that lead Russia in a absolutely unknown direction in terms of what's going to happen next. First of all, he uh, elected not to have any kind of a dialogue with, a, with an opposition. The di- a dialogue with an opposition can only happen uh, in two ways. 
one way, um, uh, that's a dialogue in the parliament. A parliament is effectively um, destroyed. Uh, the the opposition is not only in the in the parliament since two thousand and three, but the but uh, the, there there is no parliament as as a um, legal institution. No, no, those people have been essentially, it seems, appointed to their positions. And uh, from what I understand, the most recent uh, news uh, says that they have now pretty strict requirements about they have to vote in person. And so, you know, they're like becoming just bureaucrats. Uh, it's, exactly. it's interesting. But uh, uh, this, how the, does... The, so, the second, the sec, the, the second uh, way for a dialogue with an opposition uh, could be a, a much more violent one is is the street and uh, this is also not possible at least at this time because um, the the um, street opposition and demonstrations were completely eradicated after 2011 and 2012 uh, wave of opposition activity in the streets by um, uh, producing uh, unconstitutional, uh, illegal laws, uh, uh, which effectively forbid uh, any type of demonstrations in the streets, and um, uh, they were um, selective, but quite, uh, if not massive, then then, then kind of mass se- selective uh, showcase trials of opposition um, representatives for their participation 2011-2012 demonstrations who are uh, now behind bars for two, three, four, five, even even more years. And this uh, uh, scared people off. Nobody wants to go into the streets anymore. Then, um, uh, according to the Russian constitution, so in in the absence of a dialogue with an opposition, with any type of opposition, the Kremlin is uh, on its own with any uh, with no any type of a feedback or or anything like that. Then uh, Putin also destroyed um, the constitutional uh, not only division of powers but also the whole system of uh, independent uh, uh, pa- state Court. power in Russia. Uh, the the uh, court system is uh, destroyed. Um, the uh, parliament uh, is destroyed, both uh, upper and, and uh, lower chamber of the parliament. And in fact, uh, the executive power of the president is destroyed because the president is, the constitution has it, um, must be uh, elected for four years um, and uh, two terms uh, of four years is the constitutional maximum. Instead of this, um, uh, uh, back in September of 2011, uh, at the time, uh, the, pre- the then President Medvedev, who appeared to be not a, a president or even a successor to Putin, but rather a clown who was just sitting uh, on his chair um, warming this up, for the next term. So he passed unconstitutional amendments uh, that the four-year term 
um, is now extended to six years. And uh, Putin himself, with the uh, pocket uh, constitutional court, ruled that he can come back for a third term um, uh, if this third term is not um, uh, consecutive to the previous two, uh, which is complete uh, mockery of the constitutional and of the whole principle of the uh, two-term maximum um, as uh, it appears in the con- constitution. So uh, even Putin himself in this presidential seat uh, is complete fake. Uh, he, it's uh, unconstitutional for him to be called the president. And moreover, uh, all of other mechanisms and checks and balances um, uh, which uh, come hand in hand with the uh, presidential power, um, they all destroyed, such as, as I said before, the, the um, uh, possibility of the impeachment uh, uh, with the process uh, being initiated in the parliament and so on and so forth. So he um, uh, is not a president, he's a dictator. And uh, not only a dictator, but, but he also already took Russia in, in, into the direction of a fascist uh, dictatorship. His rhetoric, uh, which started back in uh, March of 2014, straight after the annexation of Crimea and the, uh, um, uh, with the, uh, um, you know, breaking so many uh, bilateral and, and multilateral international agreements with the Ukraine and, in fact, with the United States as well, um, uh, with the United States being the party and the signatory to the so-called Budapest Memorandum, which guaranteed territorial sovereignty to Ukraine and uh, under which uh, uh, the U.S., the U.K., um, um, and uh, Ukraine itself and Russia put their signatures. Um, All of this was violated, and at the same time, Putin started rhetoric of Adolf Hitler type of uh, um, rhetoric, really, when Hitler was annexing the uh, uh, Sudet region of Czechoslovakia in 1938, and um, um, the same rhetoric of uh, invading Poland in 1939. Uh, Putin was talking about the uh, def- uh, the um, uh, help and, and uh, uh, def- uh, defending Russian-speaking population in uh, other countries other than Russia, uh, defending Russian population in East Ukraine, and he started talking about the so-called Novorossiya which um, uh, encompassed in his uh, sick mind um, uh, the majority of the regions of the entire eastern Ukraine. And and this this is not a joke. I I mean, I hope that uh, many people in the U.S. now realize that um, the the regime in Russia uh, has already turned from an authoritarian into dictatorship, and not only into dictatorship, but into a fascist dictatorship, uh, uh, at least uh, since March 2014 and onwards. And this uh, has been only worsening uh, by the day, uh, by, by now. So when you're asking me what is going to happen uh, in Russia, the answer to this question is very simple. Nobody knows anymore, because Putin destroyed so many, uh, so uh, uh, many checks and balances in the entire constitutional system 
that nobody can predict how it's going to play out. Putin destroyed uh, the institution of uh, a free, a fair, um, and honest elections. He destroyed the institution of uh, uh, power uh, change and and um, of uh, uh, basically uh, um, the possibility of uh, another president uh, coming uh, into the president's office uh, after being elected by a popular vote. And in fact, Putin is not really fighting for power and or money anymore. He is fighting for his own life because he committed so many grave crimes inside Russia and outside Russia that he knows very, very well that the only um, uh, way to save his uh, uh, freedom and possibly life is to actually stay in the office forever until he dies by uh, natural course. And um, um, so I think that he is destined to remain in the Kremlin uh, until he's dead. Um, the only possibility that he is going to be somehow kicked out of the Kremlin sooner rather than later is by some kind of a palace coup, if and when somebody from the so-called um, Russian elite um, just uh, kills him uh, in some kind of a uh, really a palace coup. And uh, the entire uh, situation is... Uh, uh, even more grave than many people think, uh, just because in this situation, this uh, madman has nuclear button. Uh, so we are talking about uh, a, a whole mafia, which uh, not infiltrated uh, the the, the uh, uh, powers that be, but the the, the, the mafia came to to power in Russia. And this mafia is the most dangerous mafia in the history of the mankind because these are K, uh, this is KGB mafia. This, it, it all comprised by former uh, officers of the KGB of the USSR. And uh, uh, to make uh, things um, even worse, uh, this KGB mafia uh, got possession of uh, um, 47% of the entire world nuclear weapons. Slava, I think you, you covered a, a lot of territory, so I will quickly remind listeners that this is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin, and my guest is Slava Rabinovich, one of the most popular uh, bloggers in Russia, who's joining us by Skype from Russia. And uh, we're discussing the American-Russian relations uh, and uh, all the, well, the challenges that Russia faces in, uh, in, an, in an attempt to uh, become anything but... Uh, well, another Iraq, another Syria, another North Korea, where everything is being held together by authoritarian uh, power. However, Slava, we have a big difference here, and that is that exactly as you mentioned, there's nuclear weapons, and also that the regime uh, currently, you know, running Russia is much more uh, aggressive than Saddam Hussein's Iraq or any other, uh, you know, I can think of maybe, I don't know what about Venezuela, uh, but uh, the internet 
um, attacks uh, angle of the Russian-American relations is really rapidly becoming a big deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think that, don't you think that that will affect uh, uh, what the uh, United States is, is likely to do? But at the same time, it, it, you know, the situation you described, it sounds like uh, there will not be an explosion from underneath in Russia. So the only way that the situation is going to change is from an external involvement. Is, is that what we're waiting for? Well, it's, dif- it's difficult to imagine how external involvement um, can play out uh, against the mafia state uh, are, uh, uh, and, and against the mafia itself armed with nuclear weapons. Uh, in terms of uh, Russian-sponsored uh, hackers' attacks uh, and uh, um, attempts to uh, get in, involved in presidential elections and interfere in the U.S. presidential elections, and obviously we know a lot about it uh, and different aspects of that have been discussed in the media Um But uh, at the same time, um, I would rather add that um, the Internet era itself uh, is something that is going to help to destroy this Putin's regime uh, at some point. These KGB uh, people, they all uh, went to uh, the so-called higher, higher KGB school of the USSR in, uh, in early Um, uh, and mid and late 1970s. They uh, don't know in full what the Internet is about. Uh, Putin once said that in, the Internet was invented in the U.S. by the CIA. Um, they are afraid of the Internet. Um, they uh, certainly underestimate the power of the Internet. They um, are watching um, in horror Uh, uh, in many cases, uh, when um, some information is um, uh, spread uh, around the globe in a matter of seconds, exposing their lies. Uh, only yesterday, uh, or day before yesterday, um, the uh, defense ministry in Russia, um, in a very um, usual form, Um, of of uh, uh, playing a bad hand in, in cards, they um, they uh, turn the tables and they accused uh, Belgium um, and the Belgium F 16 uh, uh, planes of bombing the Aleppo uh, in some kind of a, a surrealistic. Um, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, statement. Statement, um, and uh, very very shortly, Belgium uh, exposed the Kremlin lies and issued counter statements, and in fact summoned the Russian um, uh, ambassador uh, to the foreign ministry in Belgium. Uh, with uh, protests, but this is just the most recent example, but we obviously uh, see this kind of internet exposing uh, their lies um, many, many 
not even months, but years by now, uh, starting with the most uh, um, hot and, and uh, um, most uh, aggressive uh, um, campaign, which started in March of 2014. I think that this is something that they really underestimate and they, this is going to hurt them uh, a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I have uh, a, a very good medication drug to administer to the Kremlin regime if I were the U.S. president. And if I were a U.S. president with uh, lots of political weight to uh, put the entire European Union, uh, Japan, Australia, uh, Canada, you know, behind me, to to do what I'm going to to say, um, the West uh, with the U.S. as, as a, um, a leader should have already uh, two years ago um, uh, issued uh, so-called personal sanctions, not against a bunch of uh, Putin's uh, closest friends um, in the number of twenty or thirty people or something like that, or even less. But I would be um, putting personal sanctions against um, 200 people in the very beginning and adding uh, 100 people to the list every month so that in, um, in uh, one year, the list would have been um, 1,400 uh, names long, 200 at first and then you know, 100 each month. And with the 1,400 people on the personal sanctions list, uh, Putin would have been out of the Kremlin uh, by internal um, coup um, a year ago. So, if, in the, so in the end, it comes down to stronger sanctions. Um, these sanctions should not hurt... Um, and, the, and this the is what will avoid so uh, involvement by force, and this is what will allow and motivate the palace coup to occur, as it sounds like that's the most peaceful way of transferring power in the current Russian environment. So just stronger sanctions. Yes, but again, uh, sanctions uh, could be different. I would, uh, I would not uh, um, institute sanctions that would uh, hurt uh, um, the Russian economy more then uh, it, they already hurting, and I would not. Uh, I would try to avoid hurting um, the Russian people because this could be a backlash, a popular backlash uh, at the West, where sanctions really hurt um, the um, population at large. I would be targeting sanctions against specific people, and uh, at, at some point there will be a critical mass of those people who are specifically targeted and hurt from the so-called quote-unquote Russian elite, that uh, the Russian elite would uh, uh, collectively decide that Putin is no longer fit to represent their interests um, within Russia or outside of Russia. And uh, um, obviously, uh, this uh, so-called collective elite um, would have been uh, consulting with the West behind the scenes 
in terms of the succession. And I'm sure that in this case, the West um, would have um, extended uh, only two serious conditions on uh, the candidacy um, of a successor. Uh, two groups of people would be not acceptable to the West, um, and the Russian elite uh, should have been uh, made aware of that. The first group uh, would be those who can, um, after the change of the regime, who can be uh, tried at the uh, um, uh, court in The Hague um, and um, uh, be accused of uh, war crimes. So uh, the West would have said no war criminals, uh, any kind of war criminals or criminal as a successor. And the second uh, serious um, uh, condition would have probably been uh, no more KGB officers, no more those who ever served in the KGB. Um, and I'm sure that among the so-called Russian elite, uh, there are many suitable candidates who are not falling in either uh, or both of these groups. Any chance that uh, they will come from any of the opposition groups? It's unlikely. Uh, only, only if the, from the groups of the so-called systemic uh, liberals, from those uh, opposition um, liberals that uh, kind of cooperate that, that, with the that, that, that can claim to have a political party. No, I, I, I'm sure that uh, somebody, you, you see, uh, this uh, this uh, palace coup would not be a, a uh, permanent uh, transition anyway. Uh, bo- uh, both uh, the West and uh, Russia, I mean, Russian elite would understand that it's going to be a transition period so, uh, uh, until some kind of a uh, much more uh, substan- substantial change in, in Russian politics. But as a transition figure, you know, the West would have been more um, receptive to the idea that Putin must go um, and that somebody who would be acceptable to everybody, at least as a transitional figure. The West would say, okay, we will need to speak to somebody anyway. So if we need to speak uh, to somebody in Russia anyway, who that might be? It cannot be a war criminal, and it cannot be a KGB officer. Can Dmitry Medvedev be such a person, uh, the current uh, prime minister and uh, um, the former president, uh, even if he um, has a reputation of uh, just the uh, uh, somebody who was keeping the chair for, for Putin? Yes, he, he can be such a transitional figure. Can be, can that uh, figure be Igor Shuvalov, uh, the first uh, Deputy Prime Minister, who is known the world over um, to be a, a corrupt, uh, very, very wealthy guy uh, who uh, spent last 15 years trading on the inside, you know, inside information and not being um, put away in jail for that, and in fact being the first Deputy Prime Minister. Um, yes, he can be such a transitional figure. I, I think the most uh, 
likely um, uh, candidate who would have uh, satisfied the uh, uh, West's uh, West cri- criteria in the West would have been Alexei Kudrin, uh, a former uh, minister of finance and uh, uh, first deputy prime minister, and um, who is in the camp of the so-called systemic uh, liberals. And and there are many other people uh, of this sort who are not war criminals and who are not KGB officers. But this type of a figure would be only a transition figure until some kind of a next round of the Russian Revolution um, hopefully not a, a very bloody one or or, um, to, or not bloody period um, but uh, uh, it has to happen somehow so, some trigger must be um, present in, in, in to, to actually be a catalyst to, uh, to this process and I believe that uh, in order for this to happen the West must uh, really go after a great, a great number of um, uh, people with personal sanctions uh, in a very, very painful uh, but uh, sure process uh, for the number of people to reach a, a critical mass where um, they would just uh, somehow get Putin out of his office. All right. Slava Rabinovich, thank you so much for being on the program once again, and uh, we'll we'll have to keep watching what happens. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report.